Okay, we are in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 26, and we're in the last portion of Genesis chapter 26. And let me start reading that in Genesis chapter 26, reading from verse 26. Genesis 26, 26. Now Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzath and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? And they said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you. And you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. When Esau was 40 years old, he married... Well, let me just stop there. We'll, start at, we'll stop at verse 33. So, this is Abimelech comes to him. And remember, this is not the same Abimelech that, that Abraham, his father, had dealt with 70 years earlier. Abimelech is a title, much like Pharaoh is a title. And he came from the city of Gerar with his advisor, Ahuzath, and Fikal, the commander. Fikal, the commander, is again a title. It's like general. And, and so, so previously we had seen Abimelech come with Fikal 70 years earlier, but that was a different Abimelech, a different Fikal. Those are titles. And so let's, let's see what had happened in this same chapter just earlier on. We can remind ourselves in verse 12 of, 20, of, of Genesis chapter 26, it says, Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he, uh, uh, until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds in a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Not now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. So previously, he had gone to Gerar because of the famine. God said, don't leave the land. He didn't leave the land. He stayed in Gerar. Gerar is just off this map right about here. And right now he's gone back down to Beersheba. So this is a, a 20-mile bar. So he's, he's about, he's about uh, 20 miles or so from, from Gerar. And uh, he's in Beersheba. And, and uh, so he's gone back down there. He had several, dis, several disagreements with, with uh, Abimelech's servants over the wells. We talked about that last week. And now Abimelech comes to him and he says, let's have, a com- let's have an agreement. And he, so he comes with his advisor and he comes with his general. So this is a very official visit. And he says to him, and so Isaac, the first thing Isaac says to him, why have you come to me since you hate me? You hate me. 
and you sent me away from you. So when you look back in verse, in verse 12, <clears throat> Isaac starts becoming really fruitful. Isaac becomes really fruitful in the midst of a famine. He plants. This is the first time there's farming occurring. So they were nomadic before that. He plants and he gets a hundredfold return, which is a huge return. And he becomes rich. And the Philistines, speaking proleptically, meaning that the Philistines weren't even around yet, but projecting out for who's going to occupy that territory ultimately. Uh, uh, so the, the locals look at him and they become envious, it says. So they envied him. In verse, verse 14, it says they envied him. And so what they did is they stopped up all the wells that his father Abraham had dug. Not just a few of the wells, it says all of the wells. In verse 15, now all the wells which Abraham had dug, they stopped up. And they sent him away. So first they stopped up the wells in the land that he could go back into. And then they said, go away. You see, that's really like killing the man. That's what they did. That wasn't very nice. And that's why Isaac says, you hate me. Why are you here? You hate me. And, and uh, Abimelech then says why he's here. He says, then he said, we see, in verse 28, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So he said, let, so he said, let there now be an oath between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm. So he says, we don't want you to harm us. But then he goes on to say, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. Huh? Just the opposite. Just the opposite. And, and, uh, um, but they see this man is so productive. Now they're worried that he could gather together his peoples and go right back at them. So they said, let's, let's make a covenant with them. And so they made a covenant together that they would not attack each other. They're only doing this. This shows how strong Isaac has become. The blessings of Abraham have now come upon Isaac. He's become so strong that Gerar, the, the, the city of Gerar, is afraid after what they've done, and they want a covenant of peace. The same thing had happened to Abraham earlier, where that earlier Abimelech had come to him and wanted a covenant of peace. Abraham did not agree to the peace until he dealt with the well problem. Because, because uh, they were, Abraham's shepherds were fighting over the, the wells with, with uh, Abimelech's shepherds. And he said, this is in Beersheba. Beersheba, it's this place of Beersheba. Shiva is, is uh, Sheva is this number seven in Hebrew. So Beersheba was seven lambs, the seven lambs that, 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 uh, um, uh, that Abraham had given to Abimelech to characterize that there were seven wells there. He says, these are my wells. He dealt with the issue. This man came to him to negotiate terms of peace. Abraham turned around and dealt with issues like the well problem. He says, okay, those wells are yours. And remember, we talked about when you're in negotiations, with that's your time to get everything you can. Isaac is much more passive. He doesn't deal with the well issue at all. He just says, okay, we'll have this peace agreement. Isaac is a very passive guy, and we're going to see more of this. And, uh, um, and so he, he has this agreement of peace with him. He goes in and, he, and he, he makes this agreement with him, and he agrees, okay, we won't attack you. You don't attack us. In verse 30, they, they ate and drank, and in the morning they, they, they had their swearing exchanges, and they, they made the covenant. And then in... in uh, uh, 
Verse 32, it says, On the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and he said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of this city is Beersheba to this day. So this is a play on words. It already was called Beersheba from the days of Abraham, meaning seven lambs. But he says, we call, he called it Sheba. It's a play on words. This means oath. So you have seven and you have oath. So there's a play on words. So it underscored all the more that this is Beersheba. Because remember, all those wells had been stopped up. All the wells that Abraham's servants had dug. And now they're able to dig back into it and they're able to get water. Because he's going to need water now. Because he has this, this whole big group. So that, that, what I see in that, it's interesting. The, the people of Gerar hated Isaac. Isaac had, you know, there was no love lost on Isaac toward them after what they had done to him. They plugged up all the wells and then they said, now you go. You go into this area where there's no water for you. So they really didn't like each other at all, but they're having a peace agreement. And that's sort of like what happens today. You know, if you look at where Gerar is just off this map, this is sort of like the West Bank today. The West Bank of Israel. And so there are peace agreements between people who really don't love each other, but there's still an agreement of peace. And, 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 uh, uh, so there's this peaceful coexistence, even though we don't agree with each other. And sometimes in life that happens. There, you, you might have a neighbor you just cannot get along with. And you, you might try, you know, when I was in my thirties, we were, I, I started my first company. And I remember working with these other professors and I thought, I can work with anybody. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a good guy. I, I can, I, there's no problem. I can work with anybody. I no longer believe that. <laughs> you know, after that, that first experience, after that first experience, I learned that there's people that I just can't work with. So, for example, I felt as if I was doing all the work and these other guys weren't doing anything. I was raising all the money and these other guys weren't doing anything. They were glad to have me raise the money. Now, what you're getting is my opinion. I'm sure if you asked them, they'd have another opinion about this. But I realized I can't work with them. And so I have decided since that experience, I will never start a company again with a faculty colleague. Because what I learned about professors, professors are very good at professing and pontificating about things that they know nothing about. So I would go to the business school and I'd ask my colleagues in the business school, how should we structure this company? And they say, this is how you structure a company. This is what you should do. And they came in and they counseled me. Very gracious. I brought this to my, to, to, to these other, other five guys and they were like, no, 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 we're going to do it this way. It was totally opposite of what they'd been instructed by people who really know what they're doing. These guys are in the business school. They studied that. And then there's these chemists who think that they know better. Look, if it's a chemistry issue, you know, I'll take your advice. But on this, we are, it didn't matter. So now I, I, I don't do this. I don't start companies with them. And I understand what life is about. It's really nice to look at this. No, they should really be friends. I mean, Isaac should hug and make up and let bygones be gone. Look, there's a reality in life. Sometimes people groups just don't get along. And let's have a peace between us. We're not going to kill each other. This is the reality. You go to Israel today, that's the reality. You know, it's just there. The same sort of thing is going on. Now in verse 34, when Esau 
was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Berai, the Hittite, and Basimoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau was 40 years old when he got married. That's the same age, same age that Isaac was when he had gotten married to Rebekah. Rebekah was probably much younger, maybe 20 or 18 or 16. He was 40. But uh, we don't know Rebekah's exact age when, when she got married. Uh, uh, maybe we do. I, I don't know it. But Esau was 40 years old, but he married outside the covenant people. He married a, the, Judith, the daughter of a Hittite. The name Judith is, is, is actually, actually means praise in Hebrew. So in other words, they had, the Hittites had lived long enough in the land, in that land that they had actually picked up a Hebrew name. And that happens all the time. A lot of us, our parents are immigrants, but we will have American sounding names because they lived in the land long, long enough that we then, we then pick up names. So Judith is, is a, is a Hebrew name, but she's a descendant of Hittites. And also Basimoth is uh, the daughter of a Hittite. And Basimoth means perfume. So again, these people had, but they were Hittites. They were outside the kingdom. This is further disdain that you have of Esau for the whole history of his people of what God had said concerning Abraham. Remember, he sold his birthright for a bowl of red lentils. And now he sold... So birthright means something. Birthright means that he would get two-thirds of what Abraham had, and the other son would get, get one-third. Uh, the first would get two double portion, two-thirds, and all the other children, in this case, just, just uh, um, Isaac and, and then those six other brothers from, from another wife, would, would, get, would get the remainder. But he sold that. Because he didn't care. And here he doesn't care about the covenant. You see further disdain by Esau. And he brought, it brought real grief to Isaac and Rebekah, to his parents. I'll tell you, you know, when you marry somebody, you're bringing somebody into the family, you really want there to be peace. You really do, because this is now your family. And so do whatever you can to try to bring peace between the person you're going to marry and, and your parents. You want your parent. It, it, it's not like your parents have to think this is the perfect person. Yet. Um, because, but, but, but at least that there's be peace because you're bringing two families together. It's really families and you need your family. So, so I see, I've seen young people totally ostracize themselves from their parents because of the decision that they've made and they weren't going to listen to anybody. They had made their decision. Well, there's a way to make your decision and you can make it slowly so that you can win your parents' approval and submit things to them and try to get their approval. You know, this is, this is, uh, you know, sometimes these are surprises. Try to win their approval because you need all the help you can get in a marriage. I mean, if you don't have your families on your side and the two of you want to stay together in marriage, it's hard. If you have your family standing with you and helping you and supporting you in this emotionally, uh, financially, and all the other things that you need and help with the kids, and it's hard. So you really want to try to get some agreement here. This caused them great torture. Now we're going to read a chapter, which is a very famous chapter. It's, it, 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 it's sometimes called uh, uh, Jacob's Deception. And... Uh, um, so let's start reading in chapter 27, verse 1. Chapter 27, verse 1 of Genesis. 
Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and he said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Esau said, I'm sorry, Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare a savory dish for me, such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. Okay, so he wants to give him the final blessing. He's going to give the final blessing to his son Esau. So let's think about ages here. At this point, Isaac is 137 years old. He's 137 years old, and you say, well, how do you know that? This is how I know it. All right? These are all the verses in Genesis that once you string those together, you boom, you get his age immediately. So it's 137. So I haven't done this. This has been done by scholars, but it's very easy to follow. It's only arithmetic. That's all it is. So he's 137 at this point. This is the same age that his brother... So Isaac and Ishmael, so remember, Ishmael was 14 years older than Isaac. Ishmael was 14 when Isaac was born. Ishmael was the son of Hagar, and, and Isaac, the, uh, uh, the, the promised son from Sarah. 14-year difference. Ishmael died at 137. So now, at 137, Isaac probably thinks, I probably don't have much time left. So his, his brother had died 14 years later. because, he, And I've seen many people say, you know, my father died when he was 67, so that's probably the age I'll live. You have no idea. You have no idea, but that's common thinking. So he's 137. He's got cataracts. His eyes were dim. And so that's what happens with cataracts. They build up in there, and praise God, we've got, we've got uh, uh, eye surgeons that can easily go in there, and they, 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 there's this gel that's, that's, that's in, your, in, in, in your eye, and they, they just go in there, and they stir it up, and they suck that gel out because it's now cross-linked, and that's what, what, what makes it so you can't see anymore. And they stick in a glass lens, and you, boom, I mean, your, your vision's clear. And... Uh, um, so they didn't have that. So he's 137 and his eyes are dim so he can't see. So his vision is gone, but he's 137. He is going to live 43 more years. He dies at 180. He's the oldest of all the patriarchs. He lives longer than all the patriarchs. He's going to live another 43 years. He thinks he's near the end. Don't retire too early. I mean, I see guys retiring and, and uh, they, well, you know, I'm going to retire, but... You don't know if you're going to live another 30 years. How about you just keep keep going? Or at least if you want to retire from what you do, don't just go sit on your ranch and go fishing. I mean, you're going to, you, you, can, you, you can die prematurely like that. Serve the Lord. Don't give up too early. I really, you, you know, you guys are young. You don't think about this. But when you get older, this whole idea, and, and what can happen sometimes is that people make a lot of money. That was not me. There were people make a lot of money, and they can retire early. And so they can retire when they're 55 and, and no problem. Then no problem. They could do that. And I urge you, don't do it. You, you don't know when you're going to die. So continue to serve the Lord. If you want to quit your job, fine. But pour in your life to serving the Lord. Do something useful. This guy thinks he's going to die. So he's calling in his son to go out and some, hunt some game and cook for me so that I can give you the final blessing. 
What we're going to see in this chapter is that everybody was wrong. Everybody was wrong. Isaac was wrong because he was going to give the blessing to his son Esau. And that was never supposed to be. And we know that because of, of chapter 25, verse 23, the promise that the Lord gave to, to Rebekah before the, the boys were born. He said in, in 25, 23 of Genesis, it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one of the people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. God had already defined how it was going to be, and Isaac is intentionally going against that. Isaac is wrong in this chapter. Rebekah, who's going to connive with Jacob to get this blessing, is also wrong in her conniving with Jacob. So, so Isaac is wrong, Rebekah is wrong, Jacob is wrong. You say, well, if, if Rebekah hadn't done that, then the blessing would have gone to Esau and everything would have been messed up. There is no way it could not have gone to Esau. God would have made it right because it was according to his word. He says, the older shall serve the younger. Once God says, shall, boom, that's it. It has to happen. It can't not happen once God has defined it like that. So what we're going to see is everybody has done wrong in this. They've, they're all doing wrong. He is going to bless his son. He says, give me a good meal here and then I'll bless you. Why would he do this? He's going against the will of God, but he had his own prescription in life. And a lot of times we go through life and we do this sort of thing. This was a huge decision. God could well have, Rebecca could well have appealed to him. Rebecca could have appealed to him and just left it up to God. This is exactly what we saw with Sarah, with Sarai, and with Abraham. Abraham was told that he was going to give birth, that, that, that from him was going to become a descendant that was going to uh, uh, bring, bring on the, this line. But there was no mention of Sarai yet. And so Sarai thought of this way to deal with it. The way to deal with it was to get her handmaid, Hagar, and Hagar would, would, and that messed up everything. She was going to try to make this the right way. And, and, uh, uh, but, but, um, God had a different way. So in that Sarai disobeyed and Abraham disobeyed. Here, we're going to see Isaac disobey. He's already walking in disobedience. So these things happen where people will walk in disobedience. Praise God that we have a God that forgives and God, God the correct. Now, there are some things that we do in life, decisions that we make, that are, we can't turn back from. And I'll give you an example. You marry somebody who doesn't love the Lord, you're stuck. You're stuck. How do you deal in marriage? You say, well, you can divorce them and marry somebody else. Not if you want to walk according to the Scriptures. You can't. Once there's divorce, the Bible says the only course to correct it is to, re, is to reconcile. You mean reconcile with the person that I've divorced? Right. That's the only scriptural way. And I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not picking on anybody's parents. I'm just warning you because I'm not speaking to married people. I am speaking to people who aren't married yet. All right? That's who I'm speaking to. Remember, according to the scriptures, that is the way that you deal with it. 
You want to make the right decision. That's why the decision is so critical. That's why you want your parents' approval because a lot of times your parents see things that you don't see because there's small molecules that can affect your decisions. They get into your brain. Very small amounts of them can affect your decisions tremendously. And it, 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 it's like cataracts. I mean, you get blind. You don't see it. That, that love is blind. It happens. And your parents see right through this. So I urge you to get their approval because they see things that you don't see. So there's some things you can't easily turn back from. So what happens is as you, as you grow up, you make decisions and you can correct those. But now you guys are right at the cusp of the age where the decisions that you make will affect your lives for the rest of your lives. It's going to set the path for the rest of your lives that you can't easily turn back from. In the midst of bad decisions which we make, God is able to move. God is a gracious God. But there's still things that we have to deal with. One of the decisions I urge you to make is to come to the Lord Jesus. Have a relationship with God. Have that relationship with God. I mean, this comes through, through a relationship. And the Bible establishes that all of us are separated from God. We're all separated. And, and uh, uh, everybody is a sinner. We've all sinned. And so I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. 1 John chapter 1. So this is not John's gospel. This is later on in the New Testament. You'll see the epistle of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9. It says, If we say that we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what are we going to establish right up front? Everybody is a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. The Bible says that all liars are sinners. All liars are going to go in the lake of fire. All liars. It doesn't say... You know, some people say, well, I've only tell little lies. No, all liars. If you've ever told a lie, even a little one, you're a sinner separated from God. All liars are separated from God. The other thing that makes us sinners, the Bible says that all unbelievers will end up in the lake of fire. So if you do not believe in Jesus, boom, you're a sinner. You're a sinner because you're disobeying His commandment. And, and so... We've established that we're sinners. And then it says in, in verse 9 of that, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must come in confession. We're going to read about Isaac, how he's going to really mess things up. Rebecca's going to really mess things up. And we're going to see the effects on their lives because of the decisions that each one of them is making. The price that Jacob is going to pay in his life, throughout his life, for deceiving his father. The price that Rebecca is going to pay. Huge price. We'll talk about that next time. But that woman pays a huge price for what she did. She in no way got away with this thing. No way. And, uh, um, and so, so if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The call of the gospel is come. Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. That's the call of the gospel. The call of the gospel is always, come to me. Jesus is urging you today to come to him. 
He's urging you today to come to him. It says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, this is his commandment. This is his commandment that, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. This is his commandment. It is a commandment to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that interesting? That's why it says that all those who do not believe go into the lake of fire. Because his commandment was, believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. That is a commandment. I urge you today, I urge you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to him today. So what we're going to do after this class, we're going to take the Lord's Supper and then we're going to have a lunch in my home. If you do not know the Lord, you are going to have lunch with me. Think of that opportunity. All right. I'm going to sit with you. We're going to have lunch and I'm going to explain the gospel story to you, how it hit me in my own life. How it took me from being a, a I, I was, I come from a Jewish home. I never learned about Jesus. I knew nothing about Jesus. I was 18 years old when the gospel was, was told to me. And, and, uh, um, I will tell you my story about how that happened. That's all I want to do is tell you my story. Please let me sit with you over lunch and explain to you my story. I urge you to do that because the call of the gospel has come. Please let me tell you my story. I urge you to do that. I will sit with you and I'll I'll talk with you about my story. Hear about Jesus because I want you to come to know him. Because I know the outcome of the lives that do not come to him. The pain that people bring in their lives by not knowing Jesus Christ. Come to know him. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He is so faithful to do this. Jesus is kind and gracious in every respect. Jesus is the one who beckons you. Come, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me. So if you do not know the Lord, if you have other plans, I ask you, break those plans, all right? And come to my home for lunch. I'll give you the address. You come to my home. If you need a ride, you can ride there with me. And, and the lunch is on me. And, and you come and I'll tell you about the Lord. Please let me do that. I don't want you to go another day without knowing the Lord. And it's not like you say, well, I'll do it another time. I have no authority to share with you another time. Because the Bible says, behold, Today is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Now is the time. Make haste, the Bible says, and do not delay to keep his commandments. Don't delay. Don't delay on this. Very important to follow through on this. Please take this opportunity. You know, there's many people who would say, you had an opportunity to have lunch with Dr. Tour and you didn't take it? They'd think you're crazy. They'd think you're crazy. That you, you went to, you know, just have lunch with a friend rather than have a lunch with me. All right? So take this opportunity. Look, I tell Shireen all the time how fortunate she is. <laughs> and uh, so I'll tell you how fortunate you are to have this invitation. And uh, please take this opportunity to come to the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. 
Lord, I pray that you take these young people, particularly the ones who are here today who do not know you, and that this very day they would come to know you. Father, I pray that they would come to hear my story. And Father, that you would draw them into relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord God, please do that. Draw them into a relationship with Jesus, I pray. And Father, I pray for the believers who are here that they would learn to follow Your ways and follow according to Your will. Father, that they would not do what, what, uh, what was done in disobedience to take, to, to take, uh, um, to take spou- a spouse who doesn't know You, to be unequally yoked in that, to take on a spouse that would cause torment to their parents. Father, I pray for their marriages, that they would be good and healthy and strong marriages. Father, protect them, I pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd give these young people a love for your word, that they'd learn to take from your word and enjoy it, that they'd learn to hear you from from your word. And Lord Jesus, you are altogether wonderful. It is for you, for you, that we offer this up. And Lord, protect these young people, I pray, and draw them closer to Jesus. For your glory, O Lord. Amen.